Wow. I could listen to those testimonies all day. How about you? What a blessing that was that uh, we were able to hear some of those. And I'm sure there are more. And if you are if you're able to join us for potluck or for the meeting afterward, maybe we can share a few more of those testimonies as well. So I invite you to come, uh, come with that. There, uh, there are a lot of stories about restoration and how it began. Uh, I'd like to share a little bit about my story as well and kind of how restoration began. I was able to be a part of restoration since the very beginning. And so we'll be telling that story today. But before we begin, let's have one more word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the ministry of Advent Hope and of restoration here on the campus of Loma Linda University. And Father, through all the testimonies we've heard already so far this morning, we know that, that each one of those was only because of your Holy Spirit going before us to soften hearts, and then working through us to invite people and to organize the meetings. And so as we contemplate the work of restoration that you want us to be a part of, may you convict us of the role that we are to play. In Jesus' name, amen. In order to properly tell you the story of how restoration started, I need to tell you the story of another restoration from the Bible. And that is the story of the restoration of the walls of Jerusalem. So if you could turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, and we'll start in chapter 1 and verse 1. The middle of verse 1 starts, and this is Nehemiah speaking. And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So just to step back a little bit, remember that the children of Israel had been conquered by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Their nation and their city had been completely destroyed. Jerusalem was laying in ruins for 70 years while they were a captive there in Babylon, scattered throughout the empire. And it wasn't until some miraculous and uh, prophetic events where King Cyrus of Persia allowed them to go back and begin to rebuild their nation, to rebuild their city. A few went back, and under the leadership of Ezra, they were able to finish rebuilding the temple. And they had a spiritual revival at that time. But you know, after that, things came up. There were afflictions. The tribes around them were threatened politically by what was happening in Jerusalem, and uh, enthusiasm for the work began to kind of uh, fade. Morale kind of sagged with all the challenges that were facing them. And eventually, the sound of of hammers and chisels at the construction sites uh, grew silent, and the work stopped. And this is where where Nehemiah comes into the picture. 
He is uh, serving in the king's palace as the cupbearer. And uh, he is not actually, uh, he's, he's working in the palace. That's the one thing that he has going for him. But he's not that experienced in construction, right? Or architecture. He's not a major political leader. He's not a military uh, strategist or someone who really has had any leadership experience. He's just a cupbearer. Someone there to, uh, that the king trusts, that's there to make sure that the king isn't assassinated by poisoning, right? But the thing about Nehemiah, the one thing that set him apart, despite his, his inexperience, was that while Nehemiah was serving the king in the palace in Persia, his heart was with his people in Jerusalem. And so whenever someone would come from Judah and pass through his way, he would find them and he would ask them, have you any report about what's going on in my home country? How are this, the sacrifices going with the temple? Uh, how are the, the construction on the walls going? Are the gates repaired yet? And he would hear a report that went something like this. The people are in great affliction and reproach. The wall is broken down and the gates are still charred from the fires over a hundred years ago and they still haven't been built yet. What a discouraging report to hear. And my question to you is, what do you do when you hear a discouraging report about God's people? When you, when you realize that things maybe aren't as rosy a picture as, when you, as, as you first thought about the church. Um, Maybe you found out, find out that God's people aren't living up to the high standard that, uh, that you believe that they should be. How do you react to that? Do you hang your head? Do you want to weep, mourn? Because that's what Nehemiah did. And to a certain extent, that is a natural response. But notice what happened, what else Nehemiah did. Verse 4 says, and it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned. But notice, after certain days, Nehemiah fasted and prayed. Now, we don't have time to get into this prayer of Nehemiah. It's a powerful prayer. But if I could summarize it for you, the way I would summarize it is I would say, Nehemiah prayed something like this. Dear Father in heaven, I have sinned and my people have sinned. But Lord, you have promised that if we return to you, in your word you said that you would gather us back together and you would gather us back together in the place where your name is to be set up. Lord, if it be thy will, give me an opportunity with the king. So Nehemiah started out with heartfelt uh, confession. It was personal and corporate confession. And then he began to claim the promises of God's word. And as he did that, Ellen White says that during that prayer, a holy purpose began to form in the heart of Nehemiah. And he resolved in his heart that he would take the opportunity that God gave him to uh, make a difference for his people and he would speak with the king. Nehemiah pledged, after realizing the situation, he pledged to become a part of the solution. Amen. 
So when you hear discouraging news, it's okay to, to be sad, to wish for something better for yourself and for those around you. But don't forget to be a part of the solution. And uh, I believe that God is giving us all a, um, an opportunity here on campus to be a part of an amazing uh, restoration and solution here on this campus. Uh, the next part of, of chapter 2 is where God gave Nehemiah that opportunity. We don't have time to go into that. But I do want to tell you that restoration started kind of in very similar circumstances as Nehemiah. And so in order to tell you the story about how restoration started, I want to tell you a little bit about my own personal journey to come to Loma Linda. Uh, I uh, went to medical school and graduate school here at Loma Linda, but actually Loma Linda was not my first choice. My original plan was I had actually accepted uh, an invitation to be a part of a program at a school on the East Coast uh, for their MD-PhD program. And sometime after, that, that summer before I, I came to Loma Linda, I became convicted that God wanted me to come to Loma Linda instead. Now, I had already accepted uh, a position. I had a uh, place to stay, a lab set up, you know, everything was, was ready to go. And uh, I came under strong conviction that I, was, that I needed to change my plans. And so mid-course, right, right, uh, right before, actually the, the session had already started here at Loma Linda, I changed and I decided to come to Loma Linda. I didn't know why, but I knew that God had a reason for me to be here. And I promised the Lord that whatever doors he opened here at Loma Linda, that I would walk through them. Again, when I stepped on the campus of Loma Linda, I didn't even know why I was to be here. But I made a promise to the Lord that I would, that I would step forward in faith. Well, nothing happened for about three years. I went to school. I went to different, uh, different events on campus, kind of watching but nothing really happened. However, uh, I did attend different spiritual events. I was actively praying for my campus, uh, caring about their spiritual, uh, the spiritual life here. I was early in my spiritual walk, like many of the testimonies that we heard earlier this morning. Uh, I was still seeking the Lord uh, sincerely, but there was much that I, I had to learn as well. So that process uh, took some time, but it was in uh, 2002 that the religious vice president of the Student Association here at Loma Linda approached me and asked me to run to be religious vice president for the next year. And I see uh, a couple RVPs here uh, who, who know what that's like. Uh, I, I really wasn't even interested in considering it. I didn't have any leadership experience practically uh, before coming to Loma Linda. I was deathly afraid of standing in front of a large group of people and speaking to them. And uh, I really uh, didn't feel spiritually prepared to be in charge of a campus of three or 4,000 students, uh, to be uh, in charge of the religious programming for something like that. But as I prayed about it, I remembered my commitment to the Lord that I really shouldn't even be in Loma Linda, except that God had asked me to be here for a reason, and I was, I was committed to stepping through the door that he opened, and this was a clear door that had opened. And so reluctantly, 
I said I would run. I probably wouldn't wouldn't win, you know, no experience, and, you know, not not really comfortable in front of people. But I said I would run. And would you know? Of course, uh, I did win, and now I was petrified. <laughs> what I what had I got myself into? Not only was I uh, was I inexperienced. And uh, I hated being in front of people, and uh, I didn't feel spiritually adequate. But also, I was a student. I was in medical and graduate school at the same time. I was, uh, and I was also uh, walking to something where I really had no plan about what I was going to do the next year. So, restoration uh, came all came after that. So I want to uh, now jump back to uh, the book of Nehemiah and follow Nehemiah along in his journey. Uh, we talked about the fact that he got an opportunity with the king, and the king gave him the permission to go to Jerusalem to oversee the rebuilding, the restoration of the walls there. And so if you turn with me to chapter 2, you will notice that in verse 12 through about uh, 16, he actually goes and at night, he inspects the walls around Jerusalem. He wants to see what the condition is before he talks with the people. And so at night, he circles the entire, the entire city and he, he sees the gates that are burned with fire. He sees the walls that are unfinished. He sees uh, all the disrepair that is there. And so in verse 17, he then comes to the leaders and he says, Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Let me briefly tell you what Loma Linda was like before uh, when I came to Loma Linda. And this was before there was an Avon Hope, before there was restoration, obviously. Uh, there was no, uh, you know, GYC. There was no SWYC. There was no Audioverse. Any of the ministries that you think of and maybe take for granted now, none of those were in existence at that time. Uh, there were a few things on campus that were, or there were a few things going on. There were singing bands. There was uh, a revival at Loma Linda Chinese Church for a little while. There, was, there were some different things if you looked. But in terms of things going on on this campus, for someone who was looking to be prepared for eternity or to help others prepare for eternity, there wasn't much. At least I didn't find much. And, and so uh, as I accepted this call to be the religious vice president, uh, I also found out a few other things about Loma Linda. Uh, one, of that, one of those things was the fact that uh, I found out from the university campus chaplain that for the past 30 years or so, there had not been any formal evangelism done on the campus of Loma Linda University. And as a consequence, there had been really no formal baptisms either on the campus of Loma Linda. Now, it could have been longer than that. He only went back 30 years. But there had been no formal evangelism or witness, you know, uh, organized witnessing there on the campus. 
I also found out that around that time, the campus changed from being predominantly Seventh-day Adventist to actually being a majority non-Seventh-day Adventist. And of course, as you know, there are many Adventists that come to school at Loma Linda who also uh, are looking to be revived in their own faith experience. And so what a mission field was opening up and the condition of the walls, even here in Loma Linda, uh, was beginning to open themselves to my eyes. And so uh, it was in probably the late 2002, uh, a group of friends and myself were just sitting, around, sitting down and we were talking about the situation. We were feeling the burden and the conviction of God for the, uh, the souls on this campus that needed to hear his truth. And it was at that point that a holy purpose began forming in our hearts. And we began to, to be convicted that God wanted us to be a part of the solution. Amen. And that's really how restoration started. None of us were experienced. None of us had really any idea of what restoration was going to become. But we knew that God had us here for a purpose and he wanted us to step forward in faith. Now, just because the Student Association was involved and we had some resources and there were a few friends that were interested in helping, that doesn't mean that there weren't some challenges, right? And Nehemiah faced some challenges too. If you look at the next verse, after he had appealed to the Jewish leaders to help rebuild the walls, and they had committed to doing that, in verse 19, Nehemiah writes, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Now, I won't say that anyone uh, blatantly laughed uh, and scorned uh, at restoration, especially when we, we began it. But there was this, this feeling on the campus of Loma Linda that traditional evangelism could not work on a campus like this. Uh, I remember that, um, actually this is after the first restoration, this dean of the student affairs came, he's not here anymore, but he came up to me and personally said, you know, I was challenged, my faith was challenged by by restoration. I did not think that evangelism, traditional evangelistic meetings could be held on Loma Linda and that it would make any difference with students. But God showed that I was wrong. And uh, I remember also one time when uh, I presented at the, the uh, Loma Linda University Board of Trustees and, uh, and uh, the different committees there, and I would present the plans for restoration. And I remember one board member coming up to me after my presentation and with, with good intentions, I am sure, he, he put his arm around me and he said, Tim, I just want to let you know that even if no one is baptized through your evangelistic meetings, that still it will be a success. And uh, he meant well, but the underlying implication was, we don't think that it can be done. And so there, that was part of the challenge uh, of, of reversing a certain... Um, mentality at Loma Linda. But there was also the challenge of getting young adults involved and students who were busy, right? We've heard numerous testimonies this morning about people who were in school and who were prompted by God to be involved, but they also were in medical school, in dental school, uh, nursing school, public health, allied health, etc. You name it, 
they were in school, and yet they gave part of their time in order to help out with restoration. And so I just want to mention a couple things related to that. Uh, I remember I gave a, uh, an interview on LLBN one time. Uh, it was an interview done by Lisa Beardsley. She's now the, um, the uh, director of the education department of the GC. She used to do an interview, interview program on LLBN here. And she interviewed me. And I remember during the interview, uh, she kept asking, in the beginning of the interview, she kept asking me about, about my own research. You know, so you're, you're a graduate student and you're in medical school. And what are you doing research on? And it was Sabbath, and we were, we were doing this, this interview, and I was thinking, you know, why does she keep asking me about my research and my academic stuff? You know, I want to talk about restoration. But by the end, I understood what she was trying to do. She wanted people to know that someone who was in school and was, uh, was committed to, you know, had a lot of studies, was also able to be involved in an evangelistic crusade, and it was that important to them that they would, they would be willing to do that. And so I remember her being blown away in the interview that there would be students who would give up time from their precious studies in order to be a part of something like restoration. I also want to mention briefly, and uh, we, may, we, we may go over a, a few minutes if you don't mind, uh, but there that there was also a personal sacrifice. And I, I want to make it clear that uh, it wasn't always easy. Uh, and especially the first year or so, it was a lot of work. Um, it was an ambitious schedule. Many of you are familiar with it. But back in, in, that, in those times, we actually did uh, quarterly sem uh, weekend seminars where we bring in a, a special speaker. We would do noon meetings uh, during the noon time for students. And that was on top of organizing Bible studies, and of course, actually planning and executing the two and a half week evangelistic series itself. And I remember sometimes uh, during the evangelistic series, uh, splitting my time between the lab and the meetings. So I would maybe go in in the morning, start do, run some experiments, and then I would race out and, and uh, oversee some, a, a noon meeting. Then I'd run back to the lab, I would uh, run some more experiments, kind of leave them, go back for the evening meetings, oversee those meetings, go back to the lab maybe 10 or 11 at night, and finish up the experiments and get ready for another day. Uh, and so, especially during that time, it could get very busy. But, despite all of the different challenges, both personal uh, as, an, as a student and also in the environment of the campus, we weren't fighting this battle alone. And so in verse 20 of Nehemiah, of Nehemiah 2, this is Nehemiah's answer to those who doubted him. He said, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build, but ye have no portion nor right nor memorial in Jerusalem. The Lord himself will prosper this work. It's not because of anything that we have done, inexperienced and, and ineffective as we are but God is willing to use each one of us as we are willing to be part of the solution. And so, uh, for the sake of time, I'm just going to mention a couple things, but that, that uh, restora the first year of restoration was a special experience for, for me. Uh, I remember one instance, we, um, one of our team members invited 
the, uh, the landscaping crew of Campus Hill Church to come to the meetings. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with the drug alternative program or if they still are doing that, but they were involved in, uh, in doing the landscaping there and invited these, these young men who, are, who struggled with addiction in the past but now are trying to make a new life for themselves. And they would come to every single meeting. They'd sit on the front row listening to Peter Gregory preach, even at the Agape Feast, packed full, uh, maybe 600 people or so. They were on the front row every single night. And by the end of the, the evangelist series, they uh, came up for baptism along with, uh, I, think, I think there were 15 people that came up for, for baptism at the end of that series. And these are people who, uh, who weren't Adventists, who, who made a decision based on the truth that they had heard through restoration. That's just one example of many, and we've heard many this morning. For me personally, though, it was also a turning point. And uh, I grew a lot during that time, uh, both as a leader and, and in my own spiritual life. And I just remember this one time uh, at the end of the meetings, Peter Gregory was giving an altar call. And I was exhausted. I had been working around the clock, and I had never done anything like this before. So it was, it was, uh, it was everything was a blur. But I remember this one moment where it was the last night and Peter was making his altar call. I had to run outside in order to take care of something. I wasn't even in the auditorium when he gave that call. But through the window, I could see Peter uh, making that appeal and people streaming up to the front making decisions for Christ. And I just remember just stopping amidst all the, all the things that I had to do and all the checklists in my mind and thinking about what we're going to do right after the meeting and make sure that all these people were taken care of. I just stopped and I just looked at those people and I just broke down. I just began weeping and realizing God has answered, has answered that, that call. He has, he has shown me why he called me to Loma Linda. And that even though I was inexperienced, I was petrified about what I was going to do that year, God provided and, and lives were being impacted. And uh, that was a, a real turning point for me and uh, something that really made me want to continue to be in ministry and continue that throughout my life. The last thing that I want to, to bring up is that each one of us can be involved in restoration. And in the restoration of the walls of Jerusalem, there were a lot of people that were involved if you turn to Nehemiah chapter 3, you'll see a list. It's like a list of credits of all the different groups that were involved in the rebuilding of the walls. In fact, I believe there are 42 different families or groups that are listed in this work. And although we don't have time to get into it, uh, you'll notice that there are different functions that are, that are uh, fulfilled by these different groups. Some of them, especially in the first few verses, are actually building. The walls are completely gone, and they're building those walls from scratch. Majority of the families that are involved in the middle of the chapter are involved in repairs, and a few are involved even in fortifying. There is room in God's work for each one of you. It doesn't matter if you are, maybe you are doing Bible studies and, and meeting people and, and uh, you know, canvassing or doing whatever, you know, door-to-door -door work, and you are starting things from scratch with people. That's great. God has called you to that, and he will provide for you. Some of you might be involved more in, in, in repairing and to helping what has already been started, making it grow, making it uh, become what God wants it to be. And some of you 
will be involved in fortifying God's work and strengthening what has already been started. No matter what it is, there's a role for each one of us. In fact, if you look in this chapter, you will also find that there were, um, there were women involved in the construction duties. And in verse, I believe, verse 12, you'll see that Shalem, the son of Halohesh, the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem, he and his daughters actually contributed to repairing the wall. I also want to bring up the story of the Tekoites. And uh, they were a, uh, a family that, that helped build a portion of the wall. You'll see, I believe, in verse 5 that the Tekoites repaired part of the wall. And you'll find, though, that there is an interesting aside that Nehemiah places here. He says, in the latter part of that verse, he says, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of the Lord. And I don't want to dwell on this point necessarily, but I do want to, I do want to note here that God did notice that there were some people that, although they were going to benefit right, from the work, and they had come back with the Israelites, they kind of held back. They kind of kept their distance from the work, and they didn't participate. But I will say that for the, the Tekoites in general, that they did redeem themselves. If you look in verse 27, you'll find that the Tekoites actually took on another part of the wall and made up for the lack that some of their nobles uh, uh, didn't, uh, didn't par become participate. So the Tekoites uh, made up for that. Regardless, every one of you can have a role here with restoration. And I guess my appeal to you is think about your classmates that you go to school with every day. Think about your coworkers. You may work in the hospital. You may have coworkers there. You may know people in the community. Think about all those people. Each one of those people can be a brick in the wall that God wants to build here in Loma Linda. And each one of you can, can be a part of that. You know, some of the people that were involved in restoration here, uh, not all of them gave a Bible study. Some of them cooked some food. Uh, some, of, some people drove Randy Skeet back and forth from his house. Uh, and uh, other people uh, gave out a card or contributed, uh, made a donation. And there are so many ways that each one of you can be a part uh, that I think that each one of us really is without excuse, and that, uh, that Loma Linda can still have a restoration. But it's true. Restoration is in danger of not continuing this year unless there are people who are willing to be Nehemiahs, who are willing to say, I would like to be a part of the solution. I would like to come to Loma Linda and leave Loma Linda different than when I came. Now, it's not because of what I do, but I would like to ask the Holy Spirit to use me to do that. And so we do have a card that, uh, has that been passed out yet? Uh, there is a card that I'd like to, uh, each one of you to, to receive. And, uh, thank you. It's a card that uh, has the restoration logo on. Does everyone have one of those? If not, uh, maybe we can pass some of those out. I want to give you a chance to be part of restoration. 
Now, again, there are, there are a lot of different functions, okay? Very few of you will be asked ever to give a, uh, an evangelistic series, to become a speaker as, for, let's say, Advent Hope or for Restoration. Um, some of you will give Bible studies, but not all of you. Some of you may go door to door, but not all of you. Some of you, God has called you just to play a certain part. Uh, I see a, a friend in the back who is part of the first restoration. Uh, Craig, you uh, have skills with audiovisual. And without you, the first restoration, we wouldn't have been able to do it. Uh, and it's those little things that we don't think about, right? We don't think about the AV until it doesn't work. But each one of you, God has given you skills to be a part of restoration. Some of you uh, have some resources. All of you can pray for restoration. And uh, so we're passing out pens. We're passing out a card. I want to go over the card with you just for a moment as we finish. The card says, yes, I want to help with restoration. There's no pressure here, but I want you to know that if, if it's even a little bit of time that you have that you want to be a part of restoration, we can use you. We can also use leaders to lead out in some of these, these areas as well. So there's, there's plenty of opportunities here. Notice that we have things as simple as setting up and cleaning up. Okay? Even I can do that. There's prayer. There's song service. We talked about the audiovisual. There's greeters. Maybe God has given you the gift of hospitality and the gift of a smile, a gift of a handshake. Let's use that in restoration. And of course, PR is a ma major one as well, because getting the word out, that's how people will know to come. And so if you have been impacted, if you've been convicted by the testimonies that you've heard this morning, please consider signing up, and even if you're just interested, to be a part of restoration this year. Reed, is there anything else? Or short on cards, so if you're not actually going to fill one out, can you pass it? Okay. So we're, there, are, uh, there aren't enough cards. So if any of you has an extra card or a card that you're not planning to fill out, make sure that someone gets it who would, be, who would uh, want to fill that out. And obviously, if you need to, uh, you can add your name to a blank card, and we'll make sure that we add you to the list. Is there anyone that, has, that does not have a card that needs one still? Raise your hand. All right. Again, thank you so much. I think the Lord has some amazing things planned for this university this, this year and beyond. I'm excited about this restoration weekend, and I, I want to pray with you all now that God would continue his work of restoration that began in Nehemiah's time all the way to the modern time as well. Shall we bow our heads? Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to each be Nehemiah's, that you would use us to make a difference here on this campus and to make a difference in this world. If, Father, there is any role that we can play, no matter what it is, please place that burden, that passion in our hearts and give us the opportunities that Nehemiah prayed for. We claim your promise of the things that you want to do before you come through medical missionary work, through evangelism. May that start here 
in Loma Linda. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.